was your week? Anybody? How was your week? Thumbs up, thumbs down, in between? Um, I'm not going to talk to you too much about how my week was, but um, we made it this morning uh, despite that week, and I think my iPad battery is going to stay through this whole sermon, um, but it might not, and that might be the perfect, uh, the perfect cherry on the top of the uh, Sunday of what this week was. Um, and so you'll notice Charlene was giving me some eyes a moment ago. There's not an outline. We have a scripture passage. There's no fill in the blanks. Um, we're going to just spend some time together meandering through some, some topics that I love, that I've, I'm really excited about. I would love to sit down over coffee and just um, have these discussions with you, and it, would, it could last for hours and hours. So I promise not to keep you hours and hours today, but I'm okay if we just sort of meander together. I'm okay if you tune out for a little bit because my lack of organization makes it not a three-point sermon that you can regurgitate when this is all over. Um, so let's just try to enjoy this time together. Um, it was 5th century BCE Greek philosopher Heraclitus who gave us the often quoted truth, the only constant in life is change. For some of us, this is great news. Some of us love change. New things and new adventures keep things exciting because variety is the spice of life, right? Um, but some of us hate and resist change. I like to think of myself more as the change embracer, but at the ripe age of 41, I'm already becoming the old fuddy-duddy who gets bent out of shape every time my phone software updates and I fumble around having to try to figure out all over again. Anybody else? Um, to some degree, it's probably true for everyone that tradition, routine, and predictability keep us feeling comfortable and secure. Take, for example, and yes, this is an extreme example, um, a girl whose story I heard on the radio show, This American Life. Um, Robin didn't think that there was anything strange about the way she was raised. She lived together with her sister and her parents in a nice house in the suburbs. She went to school like the other kids, watched TV, did her homework, and she ate the exact same thing for dinner every night, every night of her life, baked chicken. Here's how Robin tells it. It was like Monday chicken, Tuesday chicken, Wednesday chicken, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, chicken, 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 chicken every night of my life until I left for college. At the end of the first week of college, when everyone's desperately trying to fit in, and it's important that you act cool and sophisticated and whatever, everyone begins complaining about the food that we're being served. What was that hard stuff in the Sloppy Joe? What was that mystery meat? What animal did it come from? And I'm looking at these people like they are crazy. The variety that we are getting here every night. Every night there's a different meal. One night it's mac and cheese. One night it's mystery meat. One night it's sloppy joe. I was like, how can you criticize? I mean, it's a testament to what great chefs they must be that they can make a different meal every single night of the week. And they just kind of stared. And they're like, what? And I'm like, what, what? What's running through my head is, wait a minute. These people are implying that they had variation in their meal plan for their entire life. It's mind-bending. I mean, I don't care what I learned throughout college. This is the revelation that has stuck with me. This is what I learned. 
When Robin came home for Thanksgiving and confronted her mother with the startling fact that everyone else ate things besides chicken growing up, her mother just shrugged her shoulders and said, you liked chicken. Robin had to concede the point. Even when they had gone out to restaurants, Robin ordered chicken. They all had. There can be so much comfort in the old. The old genes, old friendships, reliable routines that represent security that we might have trouble letting go of the old. Even for those who love variety, in some ways we're all going to find that letting go of comfortable and predictable things can be hard and embracing new things can be hard. We all have our work cut out for us in this life where the one constant thing is change. Things are always changing. And in particular, this season that our church community is in is one of change. And as we walk through this change together, I think it's helpful to consider the big picture of the human experience, the big picture of this planet that we live on in order to teach us some valuable lessons. Very few things are truly universal, but there are two utterly universal changes that I can think of. You can probably figure them out. So what is something that every person in this room has experienced at least, experienced exactly once? Birth. What is something that everyone in this room expects to one day experience exactly once? Death. So birth and death, they are the two most substantial changes that we know of. The entering into life and the leaving of it. We call these entrances and exits in the immediate space that surrounds them thresholds. And threshold experiences are uniquely powerful in their ability to give us wisdom for all of the rest of life, especially for life seasons of change. If we can learn what life's thresholds have to teach us, we can feel less disoriented, less burdened, more peaceful, and more purposeful when we face change during all the days of our life. Unfortunately, though, these thresholds are teachers that we tend to keep hidden away. So if you think about it, in our culture and in our time in history, um, we have almost entirely removed firsthand care of people who are dying and firsthand care of people who are birthing from our typical life experience. Back before there were hospitals, both birth and death used to happen at home, surrounded by family. Uh, and since many homes were passed down from one generation to another, it's entirely possible that there's people that were born and died within the very same four walls. But today, we've mostly institutionalized both things. And unless you have experience as a labor and delivery nurse or a hospice worker, it's likely that Hollywood depictions far outweigh most of the real-life experiences that most of us have with birth and with death. So for our time here this morning, we're going to try to linger, at least in thoughts, around these thresholds. Uh, to soften the topic a little bit and also to expand its application, along with talking about birth and death, we're also going to see how that, um, the thresholds of seasons applies and how that can teach us something. We're going to consider how witnessing the birth and the dying and the earth around us um, helps, us um, helps us to understand what thresholds are like. So are we ready? Dive in together here. 
Um, First, we're going to read a portion of scripture. You have this on your inserts. It comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. You'll probably find this passage familiar. Even people who've never picked up a Bible have likely at some point in their life heard the song um, that will be stuck in your head the rest of the day, Turn, 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 by the birds. Um, But this is how this ancient poem reads. For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to, th- a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now this ancient poem makes an incredibly bold claim. It says, for everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. If we sort of flip the order of that, we can think of it as this. Everything belongs in the story. Not everything belongs at the same time, so they take turns. But birth belongs, and death belongs. Laughing and dancing and mending, they belong. Crying Scattering, silence, it all belongs. But there are times for each one of the pairs to step forward and time for its counterpart to step back. And to get from one to the other, you have got to turn, 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 as the birds say it, or more simply, you've got to cross over a threshold, go from one season into another. So let's back up just for one second and talk very basically about thresholds. What are they? In simple physical terms, a threshold, according to Merriam-Webster, is the plank, stone, or piece of metal that lies under a door. It's that oftentimes smooth, sloped piece of material that keeps you from tripping as you cross from one space, go through a doorway, and enter into another space. Um, We took down a wall in our house when we moved in a couple years ago, creating a large opening between the dining room and the kitchen. And there had just been a small doorway there before. So for the longest time, well over a year, um, we had no threshold to speak of, just this gap that you had to adjust your step as you walked. Um, Someone who was not familiar with the space could have easily face-planted right onto our kitchen floor um, because there was no threshold. But now Frank has installed a threshold, and we can easily transition from the kitchen to the dining room and back again with our feet just gliding across smoothly. Um, birth and death and the time immediately surrounding those are sort of like the ultimate thresholds in the human experience. We all had a first breath. We will all have a last breath. And the time surrounding that first breath and last breath are unique and powerful and have so much to teach us about how we can fully live as we take all of those breaths in between. Some people call birth and death thin places, a point in time and space where the veil between the temporal and the eternal is so thin, when the connection to the eternal makes everything more potent, more powerful, more meaningful and beautiful. 
You see, threshold experiences like death and birth bring us into laser focus about what really matters in life. I've experienced this myself as someone who spends a lot of time around birth professionally, um, and the precious wisdom and insights that I've gained about death have come from professionals who spend their time in that, in that space. One such person is funeral director Caleb Wilde, who wrote the book Confessions of a Funeral Director. It was one of my very favorite reads of, this, of these recent years. Um, Caleb speaks so poetically about it this way. He says, we picture death's hand as cold and capricious bone when it might be the hand of an expert clockmaker able to turn and fix those intricate parts that still harbor a sense of Eden where vulnerability is normal and shame has little power. Did you catch that? You might have gotten lost in the poetry of the first part of his description, but that final description of death, where vulnerability is normal and shame has little power. People on their deathbed are not checking Instagram to see how many likes they have. They are not stewing about the person who cut them off in traffic. They're not worrying about balancing their checkbooks. Women who I accompany through labor are not pausing between contractions to brush up their resume or call that family member with whom she has a long-standing feud just to give them a piece of her mind. That would be absurd. Because when people are dying and when people are being born, we know, we know more than words can describe what really matters. Birth and death cause us to cast off what is less significant in order to embrace what is most precious and true. Apart from any posing or pretension, apart from any pride and ego, vulnerability and free of shame. Wouldn't it be amazing to live every single day of our life that way, through every single one of our breaths, with total vulnerability and free of shame? These threshold experiences impart this precious wisdom to us, and all of the rest of our lives are worthy of embracing that, not just these thresholds. But Elizabeth, you might be thinking, a vulnerable life, free of shame, rich and robust with the most important things in life does sound lovely, but it sounds like you are telling me that I should embrace death. That can't be right. The sermon is supposed to be about embracing new beginnings, not embracing death. Why would you want to embrace death? Don't we usually think of death as the end of the story? But really, would any of us be here sitting in these chairs today if we really thought that death was the end of the story? What binds us together is our belief that we were created by and led by and cared for by a God who did not allow death to be the final word. Here is where our hope is. Jesus' death and subsequent res resurrection mean that death has been defeated. It means that God is about restoration, healing, and putting back together the world that, is, that they created. I like how Father Richard Rohr describes it. He says that the raising up of Jesus is not a one-time anomaly that proves that Jesus is God. It is a statement about how reality works. And he is the final chapter of reality given to give, us, to give history hope. This is where it is all heading, to the risen Christ. In God's universe, death never gets the final word because death is the pathway to resurrection. 
Even when it does its dirty work, death ends up working in service of our loving God, delivering us into new life and resurrection. From that perspective, doesn't it seem like death can actually be part of the good news? Again, a really good, good word from Caleb Wilde here. He says, death is like mud. It is dirty and messy and incredibly tough to walk through. But surprisingly, it holds vital ingredients to life. And when seeds are planted, it can sprout new life. Resurrection is what it's all about. God putting back together, restoring all that is broken, healing all that is sick, setting free all that is enslaved. So if death and winter have to come first, if they make the way for spring and for new life, then let's embrace and welcome them. Now, this future hope of resurrection, the promise that God is in the business of resurrection, is a great idea, but maybe it would be more helpful to think in some practical terms about what you do when you're walking through a threshold. How can you let go of that old and embrace the new? Um, in some ways, it's a little bit like lending, it's extending an olive branch to death or reaching out a welcoming hand and saying, um, I, I welcome you. Um, this is something, oddly enough, that I have learned to do, um, not from a very spiritual book that I read, um, but learning to embrace the old in order, or learning to embrace the old in my process of letting it go is something that I learned really powerfully and practically from the book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Who here has read that? If you haven't read it, okay. It's okay because it's now a Netflix series too, so you can just watch from your couch. Um, it's by someone named Marie Kondo, and um, now I am not a tidy person by nature. I was a child who my mother would constantly scold about how dirty my bedroom was, and she would tell me, if there was a fire, you would die. You would not even be able to get out of your bedroom at night with all this stuff. Um, and her, war her warning worked, but only sort of, because every night before I would go to bed, I would create a fire path. I would just push all the junk from one side to the other. Um, as an adult, I have done a little bit better. I have matured, but I still find that it is an uphill battle to deal with all of the clutter that life creates in my space. But here's the standard in the process, the magic formula that Marie Kondo suggests. She says that we should only surround ourselves with things that serve us well, and we know that because they spark joy. Um, when I applied this method to my home, I got rid of a lot of stuff. But it wasn't just about tossing stuff into the bag to, for the goodwill and then enjoying this space. To do it well, I had to follow the process that she suggests. And here is the essential part. I needed to hold each object and look at it and ask myself, does this spark joy for me? If it does not, if it's something that needs to be disposed of, then the next step is so important. I have to thank this item for how it has served me. So yes, thank your trash before you throw it away. I don't think I could have figured out what belonged and what needed to go without this tactile process. I don't think I could have let go of things without that vital step of holding it and embracing it, if you will, and letting it be put to death. You can probably see where I'm going with this, that these lessons that Marie Kondo taught in her book about physically decluttering your space apply far beyond how to deal with the stacks of paper in your house. This is the same way that we can deal with the emotional, the spiritual, the relational, the intangible clutter in our lives that holds us back from new beginnings. It's also for the good things in your life, the things that you must say goodbye to as you enter a new season. 
say, letting go of a beloved pastor. Now you can pick up and embrace these intangible things. You might not be able to figuratively pick, pick, literally pick them up, but you figuratively pick them up and embrace them and examine them and thank them and release them. Pick up and hold and examine your relationships. And as you think of people in your life, some people are going to spark joy right away. Those are the people who bring out the best in you, who instill hope in you, who energize you and cause you to be your best self. Hold and examine your appetites and your consumption. How does that 20 minutes of scanning your social media feed actually make you feel? Does it spark joy? When you eat food in a hurry in your car, does it satisfy and bring you joy? Does watching the news add richness to your life and serve you well? Are you more joyful afterwards? Maybe you need to give some of your consumption habits a final embrace goodbye. Marie Kondo might not have been trying to give us sage wisdom for our spiritual journey, but I see so much of Ecclesiastes 3 reflected in this process. As we learn about a time to keep, a time to cast away, we're developing threshold navigating skills, learning that there is joy and goodness in that crossing over, going from keeping to casting away. And yes, there can be joy and goodness in the crossing over between all of these pairs of opposites. Going through and casting off and letting go is a lot like pruning. I told you we'd talk about seasons. Um, any gardener will tell you that it's important to prune, that that's how you get the blossoms and the fruit that you really desire by, um, by cutting off the old and the dead. Um, sometimes we choose to work, use, do this work like pruning, and sometimes this work is just done with us, done for us when something is taken away. So even if a gardener does not prune, the winter is going to arrive. Winter is coming. The leaves will dry and crumple and fall off. But there's good news in that too. Do you know why you could never convince me to move to Florida? Beside all of the awful heat and humidity in the summer, any guess why I will not ever live there? Not just that, but you see our northern winters are cold and dark, but they serve us well when it comes to taking care of pests. Have you ever seen a scorpion out in the wild in Pennsylvania? I have not. Um, so things like winter that kill off cockroaches and mosquitoes, um, they overall add more joy and delight to those other seasons where we can um, enjoy that spring, enjoy that summer, because that, that force of season, that force of death helps to prune and cut off and give us more of the good life that we desire. Um, so despite my general dislike of um, short days in winter, despite the idea that we all face that death is bad, I see it as a beautiful friend that ushers me into resurrection. And when I let this kind of hope pervade all of my days, all of my seasons, all of those breaths between my first and last, I can be content and even joyful in the truth that the Ecclesiastes poem has to offer. I can be present in whatever time and whatever season I'm in. Everybody still with me? Okay. You know you can't get me up here without me talking about birth, right? That's how it works. Um, so we've talked about embracing and letting go of the old, but we have still this pesky challenge of embracing the new things. New things and uncharted territory can be intimidating and overwhelming. Even your very best friend at one time was an unknown stranger. At one point, the job that you thrive in was only idea that you might have wondered if you were capable of or shaken in your boots before you showed up on the first day. 
And in my life, both personally and professionally, I get to witness the transformation of people going from feeling clueless and overwhelmed by the prospect of labor and birth and crossing over into parenthood and totally killing it. So I'm going to let my professional experience as a birth educator speak now. Um, and in the same way that I try to instill confidence in expectant parents when I teach them in my birth classes, I want to instill in you a greater sense of confidence and hope about whatever new beginnings you are facing. Lucky for you, our time is limited. Um, when I was a speaker at a weekend retreat on this topic, I went through all six of the Lamaze Healthy Birth Practices and offered illustrations on how we can tackle life's changes. Um, this morning, I'm just going to talk about my one very favorite Lamaze Healthy Birth Practice. Without further ado, Lamaze Healthy Birth Practice number three. During birth, bring a loved one, a friend, or a doula for continuous support. You may or may not have even heard of a doula before, but here's how I often explain it. A doula is like a birth Sherpa. She is someone who has experience helping other people climb the mountain of labor. She is familiar with the terrain. She is not intimidated by the sights and the sounds and the smells of birth, and she does the grunt work to make it easier for you and your support people. As a doula, I massage, I bring warm heating pads and cold cloths, I offer drinks, I fill the room with pleasant scents from essential oils, I offer unbiased information so that laboring people can make informed decisions. I catch vomit. I speak potent words of encouragement. I keep mom company so her partner can grab a bite to eat. But most importantly, I offer my continuous presence from the start of active labor and for however many hours it takes until baby arrives. But do you know what? Even the very earliest studies that showed that continuous support improved birth outcomes, in these situations, these women who were doulas, these people who were doulas, simply did one thing. They sat in the room in a chair, and they didn't leave. That's all they did. I bring out all the bells and whistles, but when it comes down to it, the simple presence of someone you know will stay as long as it takes for you to work through your vulnerable and needy times has such a tremendous impact. When it comes to walking through new beginnings, we all need support. We all need the comfort that simple presence of a non-judgmental person can bring us. Sometimes family members show up and do the work. If we're lucky, we have friends that can see us through the worst and still love us, people who will listen to our ideas and help refine them, people work, work through our dreams with us and share our pain when we have failures. Sometimes um, when we need that support, it comes in the form of a professional we need to hire. It might be a doctor who writes a script for you. It might be a therapist who works as your life change doula. Some people who I support, um, some people who I support find that the hands-on comfort of the loved ones of um, me and their loved ones help them to manage pain without it ever venturing into suffering. Some people decide to make use of the compassion ap compassionate application of pain medication, which I have witnessed that allow people to rest and enable their body to suddenly make great progress through labor because that straining and that suffering are removed. Some people try all the practical tricks, all the medical technologies, and still their babies stubbornly insist and be, upon being born by a cesarean section, what I really like to be called a belly birth. Each birth is different, and I expect that the way each one of us finds our way through a new season is going to be different. 
In the same way that I try to help women feel empowered to discover that path for themselves, I hope that we can doula each other as we all figure out our pathways through life's changes and life's new seasons. You might need tools that other people don't. You might need interventions that other people don't. Judgment and comparison do not help in birth, and they certainly will not help us in life as we work through new beginnings. All of creation is telling us a story as our seasons change. Our God is a God of resurrection. Our God is always taking the dead, the dust, and the decay and making beautiful things. When you need encouragement for your new beginnings, lean hard on this beauty of our planet's rhythm and witness. And let's add to that doing that for each other. Let's do this for each other as we pass through this threshold, this season of change that we're all going through together. Let's say a prayer. Good and loving God, we're so glad we can trust in you. We're so glad that for these big things that seem scary and overwhelming and intimidating, that you went ahead of us and you showed us how death is defeated. Draw us along your ways now as we go through these paths, as we go through thresholds, as we enter different seasons. Give us wise words and loving comfort to help support each other and make yourself beautiful and great and precious to us through the way that we love and care for each other. Amen.